Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Wonderful, beautiful day it is to be in God's house. Amen? Amen. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. This morning I want to ask you a question as you're finding your place in your Bible. Uh, Have you ever been in a place of where you just felt desperate? You You just felt as though there was nothing you could possibly do for the situation you were in. I remember one time when... Uh, I was in seminary. Uh, Robin and I were both going to school at the same time, and I wouldn't suggest that to anyone. I, I would, I would suggest you just say, "Okay, you know, I'm going to go to school, then you go to school." But uh, we were out in Texas. We'd been married only a short while. Uh, Robin and I didn't know a soul out in Texas except for one uh, husband and wife that knew Robin when she was just a little little girl. Uh, her daddy was a career Marine, and, and Robin's family was living in Hawaii at the time. And this fella at the time was a missionary to uh, people in Hawaii trying to start uh, churches over there. How he got that difficult job, I don't know. I mean, it was just suffering for the Lord all over the place. And, uh, but they would have church in their garage, and uh, sometimes out on the driveway, they'd just set up the chairs and everything. And uh, Robin doesn't remember a whole lot about that, only from what she sees in the pictures that her parents took at the time. And um, But when we got out there, we were told to look him up. And he was the... Uh, uh, one of the administrators there at the seminary, and so we called on them. But otherwise, we just didn't know anybody over there. Uh, we were all by ourselves, and we we didn't make a whole lot of money while we were both trying to work and going to school at the same time, which meant that we didn't have you know jobs that really paid well, and we didn't have uh, jobs that we could work. Uh, full schedule. We tried to work a 40... Here's the thing. We tried to work a 40-hour week plus go to school full-time. Both of us. I was in graduate school and seminary doing master's level work that I should have been just studying, focused on that, but I was trying to do work and Robin was getting her her uh, undergraduate degree and driving an hour and... Uh, let's see. was an hour and a half. It was... <laughs> We we uh it, it, no it was an hour and twenty minutes I remember it was an hour and twenty minutes there and an hour and twenty minutes back and after she left uh, Fort Worth area she was there was a long stretch of highway that she was on that there's nothing out there and that always worried me when she would go up there and come back because there'd be a long stretch of highway that she'd be on where there was no home if she was to break down, which was a very likely thing with the cars that we had then. They were worse than the cars we have now, just to give you some perspective. And we and our cars now are not all that great, but um, she would she had this uh, we. 
we did our best to to outfit her with what she needed and got a one of those cell phones back then the best cell phone you could get was one of those was the phone they called the brick phone you remember those they called them a brick phone because it weighed like a brick and it was about the size of a brick and uh, I said don't even plug it in Robin I said just leave it in the car and if you need it then plug it in plug it together it's not like phones today um, but uh, she would go up there and come back to go to uh, going to school and and I would go to school in, in Fort Worth at the seminary and go to work all the way in Dallas so we were both driving a lot and just trying to make ends meet we would we would go to the grocery store and we'd buy seven cans of tuna and we'd buy a whole bunch of those ramen noodles and that was our meals for the week pretty much um, we we learned more ways of eating tuna than anything else in the world. I mean, we we did tuna melts, tuna casserole, tuna uh, helper. We had all kind, just all kinds of tuna, and we got sick of tuna. But there was we got to the point where we just didn't have anything, and it was time for me to go back to seminary. And the first thing you did when you went to seminary was you go. To registration. You'd go to register for your classes and before you went through the line in registration, you had to make sure that your finances were in order and you were paid up for the semester. And in seminary it's not seminary is not like college. In college I could get scholarships and seminary it's all on you. Now, fortunately, because I was, I've been a Southern Baptist all my life and grew up in Southern Baptist churches, I was going to a Southern Baptist seminary. Uh, the Southern Baptists do give a little bit of uh, support for Southern Baptists going to a Southern Baptist seminary. So it's a lot cheaper than going to seminary at a, at a private uh, divinity school, but it was still a lot of money. And I went not even knowing how in the world I, I knew. I didn't. I could not understand why I was going, but I went anyway. I went up there because I knew I didn't have the money to pay for my tuition. But I went anyway. And I went, started to go through uh, registration. I, I guess maybe I was hoping that they would just overlook the fact that I owed a lot of money or something like that. But... Uh, no, no, no. They they have a procedure and they know exactly how much money you owe and all that kind of money, uh, all that kind of thing. And so they said, you need to go to the uh, uh, financial aid office. And fortunately, the man that I told you about that was the missionary, he was the director of financial aid. And uh, God put him there for me. I don't know if he helped anybody else out, but I know he helped us. Because I, I went in and I said... Uh, Dr. McQuitty, I said, I don't, I said, I know that I owe this money. And there's, I said, but there's no way I could possibly pay any of it. He said, I don't, I, there's no way that I can go, th- but I, I need, it was one of the, the last semesters we were there, I think. And he said, well, let's take a look at it. And he started doing this stuff. And he said, well, you know what? we have this one scholarship that you fit perfectly and he'd do this and he'd do that and he'd start working it out. And he, he, We sat there for a half an hour or more and he would just come up with, with this scholarship and that scholarship, do this for that. And, and, and at the end of that half an hour, he said, can you pay 
$50. And I said, well, I, I don't know, not really, but he said, just write the check and we'll make sure that, that it goes through and uh, don't worry about it. So I wrote a check for 50 or $75. Maybe it was 125 maybe that much, but I don't know. But he, he said, if you can just pay something, he said, we'll get, all, we'll get the rest taken care of. And we paid that something, whatever it was, I, I don't even remember. And the rest of it, God really took care of through this wonderful man of God. He, he just really helped us out. Uh, never forget Dr. McQuitty and his wife. The first year we were there, we had nobody to be with. And it was too far away to come back home for Christmas. We didn't have the money to fly home. That would be the only way that we could have gotten home in order to get home and celebrate Christmas and get back so we could go back to school and go back to work and everything. So we, we were just stuck in Texas all by ourselves. And they said, you coming to, you're coming to our house for Thanksgiving or Christmas. I forget what it was. I think it was Christmas. And we sat there and we uh, enjoyed Christmas dinner with other international students that had no way of getting home to. We weren't international, but that's, that was their ministry. They would take international students into their home and they would uh, bless them with an opportunity to, to have a family home when they didn't have one uh, where they were or couldn't get to their family. But that was a place, when we're in a place of desperation, we need to have someone who comes alongside of us, says, look, it's going to be all right. We're going to take care of this. We're going to go through the process. We're going to do all those things. And you know, the world is in a desperate place. And if you don't believe it, if you don't uh, believe that the world is in a desperate place, look at all the things that are going on in our world. The world is trying to do all kinds of things in order to fill the... They, the world. Let me tell you how desperate things are. The world is constantly seeking to find some kind of way of finding meaning, of finding purpose, of finding... S- sustenance for their life and what they're doing is they're they're trying to find all kinds of other things that only God can fill in their life only God can fill the love that they lack deep down in their heart a love relationship with your spouse or or with a a significant other a girlfriend boyfriend whatever it might be that that makes up for a lot of things, but it doesn't feel the emptiness that is created when we don't have the love of God in our life, when we've just shut God out. And so the world tries and finds all these things to fill their life with meaning and purpose and, and, and sustenance and some kind of, of way of, of making that pain of not having God in their life to go away. But it, uh, it's all temporary. It all goes away because it never can really feel that hole that is deep within all of us that only God can feel. And... Paul here is writing to the church in Galatia, Galatians chapter 6, and he talks about this specifically in the first couple of verses in our relationship uh, with, with others. He says, in that desperation, people will find that they are in a serious a place of difficulty, a struggle. He says, brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault... Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest thou be 
tempted. Bear you one another. <coughs> excuse me. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I want to focus on these first two verses. But this really, this whole uh, periscope of of scripture that really goes all along with this goes through verse 10 or 11 you can kind of read the full thought of of paul in this but the real meat of what we're looking at this morning is in verse 1 and 2 and i don't want us to miss out on that so i'll not get into all that other other uh it's just elaboration of paul on this theme of what's found in verse 1 and 2 and it is when the world is in a, in a place of weakness, in a, a place of desperation, they need someone like you and me. They need someone who has the answer for the burden that's in their life, that has the answer for all the problems, all the struggles, all the difficulties. Now, the world might think that the problem that they're facing is loneliness or a financial crisis or a, a medical crisis. And that's all of those things are just masking the true, full, encompassing problem that they have in there. With, and the problem, that problem is, is their lack of relationship with God. They're, they don't have a relationship with God. And so what Paul says is, is what, uh, he, now look at this first verse. It has, this first verse is really broken up into three parts. He says, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, Look at that first part there. This is a conditional clause, and it's not just a conditional in terms of a clause that is something that might happen, something that could happen. What really, what Paul, the way that Paul, Paul phrases this, it's not really seen as much in English as it is in the Greek uh, that it's written in. But what it, he's saying is, is it, this is a conditional clause that is determined, bound to happen. This. This situation is a situation that is all in all likelihood going to happen in your life. You find you come across someone who is in a place of desperation. You come across someone who has uh, fallen into a place of a fault. Someone that has a fault that's been overtaken in a fault. He, this conditional situation is, it would be like saying to you, in English, it would be like saying, if the waves come in on the shore. Now you go to the beach and you see the waves coming in. You don't sit there and you wonder, I wonder if the wave's going to come in again. You know the wave's going to come in again. It's, it's just a matter of time. Those waves hit the shoreline and they, and they come in and it's on a regular basis. It's, it always happens. It comes in on a regular basis. Sometimes it comes and it ca- uh, causes the waves to come way up on the shore. Sometimes the waves are way back and you have high tide and low tide. But regardless of the matter is, is that that wave is good there's going to be another once a wave comes in there's going to be another wave right it's always going to that's the kind of conditional clause here that that paul uses if you find a brother who's been overtaken by a fault He's saying, "Listen, this is going to happen. It, 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 it might it might be easier for us to understand in English 
in terms of saying when you find because it's going to happen it will happen you will be someone you will have someone in your life who has been overtaken by a fault now let me let's focus on the last phrase of that first phrase that uh, that that first section that's been overtaken by a fault that phrase there it, picture in your mind you remember, who remembers Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom? You remember that show? I used to watch that all the time. I used to think that was the most boring show, but now I think back to it and I think, man, what an educational uh, show that my parents had me watch. But they always showed, and um, who was the guy that was sitting in the studio all safe and snug and everything? We had the big white hair and everything on that Mutual of Omaha. I remember he was the host of the show. I can't remember his name. But he would sit there and he would he would say, look at Jim. He, now, Jim was the guy who was always out there where, where this big uh, uh, leopard or, or wild uh, lion or wild cat or something was. Jim was always the guy who was going to get mauled by whatever big animal he was out there looking at. And he'd say, Jim's going to go over there and he's going to start uh, uh, poking this big cat in the, in the, in Africa. And I'm thinking, why is why isn't Jim getting all the credit for this? Because he's the one out there doing all this stuff. And the guy, the other guy that's that that is the star of the show, he's sitting in the studio. Anyway. Every once in a while, you, they would do a feature on like a cheetah or a, a jaguar or a, a, a lion, and they would show them hunting. And you'd see like that lion and that, that lion or cheetah would be in the tall grass creeping up on that gazelle or that elk or something that was out there in the Serengeti. And they were just just creeping along and they would just sit there and they'd be still for the longest time. And you knew that in a minute it didn't matter what was going on that that jaguar, that cheetah was going to jump up real fast and go chasing after that straggling little weakling of an elk or uh, antelope or something. They were going to, that, that, and it was going to overtake, it didn't matter how fast that other critter was running, that cheetah was going to run faster because he had all the speed in him. And he was going to finally catch a hole. He was going to finally, he'd be just galloping behind that elk or that, that uh, uh, gazelle, and all of a sudden, boom, he'd, he'd make one last leap and he'd, jump on top of that thing and pull it down and and he would start biting on that thing and and it would eventually succumb and it would get dragged off to be supper now you got that image in your mind you might have remembered seeing that in some of the those uh, mutual of omaha's wild kingdom shows or something like that but or some other shows like that that's the image of evil overtaking a brother that Paul is using here. He's not just saying if someone happens to be come, walking along innocently and all of a sudden falls into, oh no, I'm, I've, I've fallen into some kind of problem. I've fallen into fault. Oh no, oh. No, he's talking about how that person that you know, that that rel- it might be a relative, might be a friend, someone who is overtaken in a fall. 
that fault has come along and like that leopard, like that jaguar, like that uh, cheetah has been enveloped by a fault and they're being mauled. They're being overtaken like that cheetah, like that jaguar, that, that uh, predatory cat is just devouring that poor innocent person. He says, when you find someone, a brother, when you find someone who's going into that place of a fault. Now, he set up the circumstance. Now he tells uh, something that needs to be done. He says, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. He says, if you truly have... When he says, ye who are spiritual, he's talking to us. Those of us who claim to have Jesus Christ in our heart and life. He's not talking about people who are just pretending to be uh, uh, righteous people. People that are just going through the motions. Look, there were plenty of people like that. They had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those people. people who are supposed to be uh, the leaders in the law, those who were scribes, those who knew the law, they were the ones that would get the prayer shawls with the longest tassels on there because they wanted you to know how spiritual they were. This would be like the uh, brother in Christ who carries the biggest, carries a... a, a, uh, coffee table size edition of the Bible because he wants you to know how religious he is and he doesn't have just one uh, ribbon coming out of his Bible. He's got enough ribbons coming out of the end of his Bible to weave a rug. He's, he's got so many places that are so important in the Bible. He's got all these ribbons hanging out and they're just like a flag flying behind that Bible saying, boy, I know my Bible and I am ready to show you how much I know. Now, those are people that are just trying to show off spirituality. Now, there are spiritual people that, are, that have their Bibles all marked up and dogged up because they're a student of the Word. And I'm not talking about them. I'm, ta- I'm not talking about... Uh, He's saying those of you who are spiritual, not the ones who are just showing off, but the ones who truly have God living in you. If you really have a relationship with God, if you truly are someone who cares, you who are spiritual, he says, restore that brother, that person who's fallen into that fault, that's been overtaken and has been mauled by that weakness, that fault. He says, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. He says, make sure that you come alongside, just like Dr. McQuitty did with me. He says, he said, Carl, come on in here and sit down at my desk. He says, I want you to, he says, I want you to see what God's going to do. It was like he said, it was like he, he was just excited about the fact that God was about to do something because he said, here's what you need. And he wrote that number down and he said, now let's see, I know you qualify for this scholarship. So he wrote, he wrote that number down. He made sure he had the numbers right and everything. And then I qualified. He marked that and he, so he marked another line. He says, here's what's left over. And it was like, oh boy, let's just see what God's going to do. Let's just see how God's going to take care of this. And that's the attitude that we have to have when we come along to help someone out. 
we don't we don't approach it with yes brother i am so spiritual i am going to come and save the day no he's t- he says come come at it with meekness come at it with such joy in your heart such desire to serve god because guess what that last phrase is still there in verse 1. He says, when you find someone who's been overtaken in a fault, that fault is a sin, a, a tribulation, a, a difficulty. Help them out in meekness. Do this, why? Because of the last... He, Paul issues the warning. That's the third clause in this first verse. He, say, he says, first of all, the conditional that's going to happen... The directive, help that person out. The second one, the third one is, is the warning. When you do this, make sure you do this in meekness because why? Considering thyself, lest you also be tempted. He says, be careful. You've seen those parents that are those helicopter parents they talk about? How they're afraid for their child to ride a bike. They put on a helmet and elbow pads and knee pads and goggles and a mouthpiece. I mean, my goodness, they could go into war with all the stuff they put on these little children to go just to ride their bike down down the driveway. They're not even out in the wilderness or anything like that. But they do all of this and then... While the child is trying to ride, they're running behind the child to make sure that they catch them before they fall and hit, uh, skin their knee a little bit. He, sa- <clears throat> he says, be careful. That's the kind of attitude he has. Be careful. Why? Because he knows how easy it is to fall into that trap that that brother has fallen. He says, look, you have a brother or sister who's fallen into... Uh, a fault. It's not because they've been uh, um, careless. It's not because they've not been spiritual enough. It's overtaken them like that cheetah, that that jaguar, that leopard. They've been mauled by that sin in their life. Help them out, but be careful because while you're helping them, you might fall into that as well. I remember when I was a young man, I, I was in the Boy Scouts, and one of the things that I did while I was in the Boy Scouts was to go to camp. First year I went to camp, it was a week-long camp, and it was, it was, uh, it was a wonderful thing. We went way up in the mountain of North Carolina, and the first thing you had to do was to jump in the lake and swim to show how well you could swim. I remember when I did that the first time, I wasn't really strong on swimming. I kind of like to just get in the water and tiptoe around and do my hands like this, pretending like I was swimming. But in the lake, you couldn't do that. You jumped in and you went, boy, if you didn't know how to swim, you stayed down in the water. Well, that's what happened to me. I jumped in and I knew that the air in my lungs would bring me back up to the top. So I was just waiting on that air in my lungs to bring me up to the top. And I was just sitting there like this, waiting, so that I could then start stroking and swimming. Well, the guy who was there watching all of us and administering the test, he saw me go down, and he didn't think I was coming back up. I wasn't coming up back fast enough, so he 
reached in with what they called a J-hook. Anybody that's been a lifeguard, you know it's the rule is is you first try and reach in with something, then you throw something. The last thing you do is go to where they are, but try and jump in the water last resort. Why? Because then you're in you might be pulled down too. Right? That's what Paul's saying. When you help someone out, be extra careful. Help them out from a place of safety. If you have to help them, help them where you know you are safe and secure. Why? Because you might get pulled into. You might fall into that fault as well. You might have problems as well. He says in verse 2, he says, Above all, bear ye one another's burdens. And here's the motivation for all of that. For such is the law of Christ. He says, when you go through life, as you're going through life, just don't worry about... Let's sum it up. Going through life as a Christian isn't just about walking the aisle and get saved. That's an important thing is, is getting your heart and life right with Christ. That's the first step though. It's not the, end, the last step. It's the first step. Once you make that first step to go down the aisle and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, that's the beginning. Then you're supposed to help other people. You're supposed to be helping people uh, make sure that they come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Helping other people to grow in Christ. Helping other people to share their love with uh, Christ. Sharing with others so that they you can help others to know Jesus as their Savior. He says, as you're helping other people, as you're bearing other people's burdens, as you're helping one another, and when people are in desperate straits, make sure to help one another. Why? Because you are fulfilling the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Did Jesus sit down like Moses and write out Ten Commandments that we were supposed to follow? No, Jesus Jesus really stripped the Ten Commandments down and said, look, These are all just pointing you in the direction of needing a Savior. He says, you can't fulfill all these commandments and go to heaven. He says, there is no way. Because if you think you can, you're fooling yourself. Jesus didn't write another law out saying, no, you need to do this instead. No, Jesus never said... Never did anything or said anything that would destroy the Word of God or tear it down. He said, instead, everything he taught only helped us to understand what God had already revealed in his Word, already revealed in the law. What Jesus said was, um, the law of Christ was basically all the, t- uh, all the, the spirit of all the things that Jesus taught. The spirit of everything that Jesus was intending for us to have in our life so that we could understand God's Word, so that we could understand what God's desire for us was. So in bearing one another's burdens, we're able to fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is basically what Jesus taught. God, uh, Jesus is uh, the... Uh, Paul was trying to say is, is if you want to do everything Jesus was trying to help us to see that we needed to do, then you need to begin by bearing one another. Help each other in their time of need. Bearing one another up. 
when we're desperate. The world all around us is desperate. We've got Christians that are going through hard times. We've got brothers and sisters that, have, that are having a difficult time maneuvering around temptation, uh, avoiding sin, uh, getting free from sin that's, that's overtaken them. We have people in the world who are, who've been just not only overtaken by sin, but have been wrapped up like another image of, in the animal world we we've lately there's been a lot of uh, spider webs coming out. It's that time of year, right? You might see on the uh, edge of your home where spiders put up some spider webs. Why? Because they're what happens when uh, some gnats or a fly or a moth gets trapped in that spider web? What happens? That spider comes out and he begins to spin a web around that 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 trapped insect and soon it's covered with that web and then that then that spider will feast on that whatever's inside that web we have people in this world who are lost without christ that the sin of this world the uh, the devil has just caught them in a web and has wrapped them up and they're sitting there helpless they need someone to help break them out of that web. Someone to help them to break out of the, that hold of sin. Jesus Christ is the one that can break them free. We need to share Christ with them as they're in their place of desperation. They're in that place of need. He says, when you see Him, know you're going to see someone in time of need, someone that's been overtaken. Help them out. Come alongside of them. Be there. Restore them. Love them. Uh, encourage them. Help them to know what Christ would have them to do, that they might be restored in love. And then thirdly, consider yourself. Be careful that you don't fall into the same trap. And in doing so, you're fulfilling the law of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.